Well, good morning. I want to uh, mention something to you that we're going to be um, participating in for this next uh, few weeks. As you can see to my left or right, your left or right, uh, there's several boxes. There are 40 boxes, and each one of these boxes represents a family, a family at Glenview Elementary. And so, you know, we've been uh, now for over a year participating in their monthly food pantry. And so we would go and we would help distribute uh, the fresh food uh, to these families. And Glenview has way more than 40 families. Everybody at Glenview, every single family at Glenview is in need. They are poverty families. But there are 40 who are committed to coming, showing up, and, and participating and, and gathering from the food pantry. And so what uh, we want to do is, obviously, school is out for holidays. Uh, the, the most extended is going to be the Christmas break. And so they will have, it, it will be uh, nearly four weeks that they will go between one food pantry and another because of how uh, the Christmas break falls. And so uh, these folks, every time we go, they tell us how much they appreciate and how important it is for them to have this pantry food to fill in the gaps that they can't meet and they're, what they can provide for themselves. And so what we want to do is we want to provide for them some food that's going to get them through that extended period. And so we've got 40 boxes, 40 families, and what we want to ask you to do is will you adopt a box? And so inside the box... You're going to find a shopping list. They're all exactly the same. And so you would just take this list, and those items would go in this box, and then you return the box, and we're going to give it back to uh, the Glenview at the, their last pantry of December before the holiday break. But here's the thing. In this box, not just food, but can also go notes of encouragement. Uh, if our, our kids want to help us participate, look at this blank canvas. My kids love to draw in color. This box could be decorated. You can put whatever you want in here along with this food. And so we want to do this for these families. And there's, like I said, there's 40 of them. Uh, if you feel like, I think the list, we're looking at about, what, $20 list or so, Claudia? Yeah, about 20, about $20 worth of food that would go in this box. And so, um, you know, if, if you want to go in together, I know sometimes we do that for, for showers. Uh, families do that. So if you want to go in together with some boxes, then we invite you to, to, to work together on it. But also, these are, are items that can be put on a shelf. But what they really need is milk and meat and bread, which is kind of hard to put in a box and to store. And so what we'd like to do alongside of this is to give each family a, a gift card that, where they can go and they can buy some, some bread and some milk and some meat, sandwich meat, some kind of meat uh, that they can have also. So if you would like to contribute towards the gift cards, then you can give that to us also. But we've got a, a December 10th is our deadline. So we'd like to have the boxes back, need to have them back, by Sunday, December 10th, so that we can get them to Glenview that week before they break for Christmas. So if you have any questions about the boxes, you can see Claudia Curtis or myself. But I'd love for you to take one and fill these boxes for these families. It's $20. If you'd like to contribute towards the gift cards, then we certainly want to accept that too. Uh, we're going to make sure that none of these families go without uh, during this holiday stretch as they, uh, as they are waiting for this pantry to kick back up. And the thing about it, we, we don't pay anything for the pantry. Summers Avenue contributes not one penny to the pantry. We contribute time. 
We contribute our time to help them distribute this food. The pantry food is, is, is given by grant money. And so uh, we, we contribute our time. And every single time we go, and Bill Ed will tell you this too, these people appreciate it. And we make these connections. And so we know whose face is going to be attached to these boxes because we see these folks. And so it's going to be a, it's going to be a great service to them. So anyway, if, uh, if you'll help us with that, we would certainly appreciate it. Take a box this morning and, uh, and let's get these filled up for these folks. Another thing I need to get out of the way is we've got desserts for River City Ministry. And so we, we put that request out and, and several of you have agreed to do that. If you can bring your desserts, make sure they're at the church building in the activity center on the kitchen counter by tomorrow, Monday, so we can get those over to River City for their Thanksgiving meal. If it needs to be refrigerated, if you bring a dessert that needs to be in the refrigerator, let me know it's in the refrigerator so we make sure we don't forget anything. But uh, we need those desserts by tomorrow at the latest. You can bring them today, but by Monday so we can get them. Uh, I mean, Gil and I are going to make sure they get over there uh, to River City. So the desserts for River City also. So let's talk about the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus, there's my slide. Resurrection of Jesus <coughs> alongside his crucifixion is the central historical event in the Christian faith. It is the center of... Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Christianity hinges on the resurrection. So if Christ had not been raised, as Paul would say, then, then his preaching, our preaching, as he would speak for the apostles, our preaching is in vain. And your faith, our faith, is in vain. You think about that. If Jesus has not raised from the, from the grave, then our, our even reason for being here this morning is in vain. It's worthless. Why are we even here? See, I'm a Christian because I believe in resurrection. I'm a Christian because I'm convinced that there was a man who after dying violent death on a Roman cross in some 30 A.D. went into a grave and was raised out of that grave. This Jesus of Nazareth came back to life and emerged from that tomb on Sunday morning. I'm convinced of that which is why I'm here today and profess to be a Christian. But that's not easy to believe. It's not easy to believe. <clears throat> if you think it is, I would argue with you. And perhaps the biggest hurdle to overcome when we relinquish the hold on our faith is this whole idea that we serve and believe in a risen Savior. Somebody who was put to death and yet raised up from the grave, raised up from the tomb. But if it is true... It's the most pivotal event in human history. And I understand why it's questionable. Because I, I came to faith through questioning. And I would say that each one of you came to faith through questioning. Why? How? When? All of these questions that we had to wrestle with and come to in order to come to faith in Christ. But what is unquestionable is that the first generations of Jesus' followers did believe that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They were convinced of that, even back to the very first generation. And everything changed as a result of this. And we are here today riding the waves of this impact some 2,000 years later of this man's resurrection. And so why did Christianity even begin, let alone continue for as long as it has, not only thinking about this Messiah, who, what he was supposed to do, because this Messiah was supposed to come and was supposed to vindicate and to, to rid 
the Jews of, of these oppressors that they had, these Romans, but also show conclusively who he was. If this had not happened, then why would we be here today? Why did this group of first century Jews who had cherished these messianic hopes and focused on, on Jesus of Nazareth not only continue to believe that he was who he was, but go out around the world and profess who he was, why would they continue to do that if it had not happened? So something happened. Something happened to make these people believe it. And their answer consistently throughout this evidence that we possess was that Jesus, this man, on a charge of a would-be Messiah, had been raised from the dead. And so when we talk about resurrection today, I wonder if it's lost its impact. Has resurrection lost its impact for us? Has it become such a commonplace idea in our Christian worldview that the significance is only contemplated at the end of life? Is that only when it really starts to mean something to us? Has resurrection been tabled to an end-of-life discussion? So it wasn't an end-of-life event for Jesus. Jesus preached and taught resurrection every step along the way. Everything He taught about God's kingdom, about how to serve God, was about resurrection. In some sense, the heart of it was resurrection, a new beginning. It was a new beginning. And resurrection is a new beginning for us too. And so the Apostle Paul writes of this new beginning as a, as a gift of God's grace. It was God's gift to us to offer us this new beginning. And so sinful disobedience should be the end of each one of us. It should be our undoing. But the impact of God's grace provides us with this new beginning. It provides us with resurrection. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul would write this letter, and he would speak about this, beginning in verse 1. He said, What shall I say then? Or do we remain in sin so that grace may increase? And reflecting on God's grace, this gift He's given to us of this life. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may, have, may live a new life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of His resurrection. We know that our old man, our old person, was crucified with Him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, He is never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you too, you also, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So because Jesus died and was raised up to this new eternal life, so we too, when we die in Christ, we are raised in Christ to this new eternal life. And so Paul saw this direct connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the sufficiency of His death to atone for our sins. And so when Jesus rose again on the third day, that was the public <coughs> announcement that God was fully satisfied with this price, this sacrificial death of His Son. And so, in His resurrection, Jesus was vindicated. He was vindicated by His resurrection. 
And by Jesus' resurrection, we are vindicated also. So hope for resurrection actually began in Judaism, not as part of their religion, but as part of their story. And so resurrection was spoken about in, in, in view of the story of Israel's exile and their restoration. And so you read through the prophets and you hear God's speaking in His promise of resurrection, which begins life, in other words, as a metaphor for returning from exile. And so what they saw resurrection was as being, being removed, being lifted out of this bondage of slavery and freed from this exile. No different in the spiritual sense. We are in the bondage of sin We are exiled in sin, and yet the resurrection is what lifts us to freedom also. And so all that went with Israel's hope for that freedom was bound up in this idea of resurrection. But the story, as it was told by Jews through Jesus' day and beyond, never suggested that the real return had actually taken place. They never felt like they were actually lifted up from this bondage and this slavery. They were never resurrected. Nobody supposed that the prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah had yet been fulfilled. And even after they returned from exile, the Jews still lived within this dream world, this idea of exile and restoration. They could look around and nothing much had changed. They were still oppressed. They were still beaten down. They were still rejected. They were still dejected. This can't be resurrection, can it? And so within this narrative... This exile became focused at certain points in the suffering of the martyrs. And so resurrection became focused on their vindication, those who had died for the cause of God. And so the hope then was that Israel's God would restore His people and those who had died in this struggle, those who were loyal to Him, those who were loyal to His law, would be raised from the dead to share in this eventual restoration. And so resurrection to them was God's justice. Resurrection was God's justice on those who oppressed, which is why the death of this proclaimed deliverer, this Jesus of Nazareth, stood to shatter all those hopes because He was supposed to be the one who delivered them from this. And yet here He is, dead in a grave. And so all of their hopes for this were shattered. And so the apostles, when Jesus appeared to them after His resurrection, it's why they still ask Him, Lord, are You now going to restore the the kingdom to Israel. Is now the time that this is going to happen. But Jesus didn't come to establish or restore a kingdom because God's kingdom has always been eternal. It will forever be eternal. Jesus came to unleash a kingdom, to build one up. He came to unshackle one, to release the kingdom from the last greatest obstacle to its growth. And that's the fear of death. And so when Peter proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, in fact, Jesus as God's deliverer who would resurrect the hope and the glory of God's people, when he proclaimed that, then Jesus in turn proclaimed in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And the word here is not hell as some translations have it. The word is Hades. That's the, that's the original. The word, those are two different words. Hell and Hades are different words, and they mean different things. And although the gates of hell, literal hell, will never prevail against God's kingdom, that's an absolute fact, Jesus says it is Hades, which is the realm of the dead, the place of the dead. It's the grave. Death itself will not prevail against God's kingdom. Why? Because God's kingdom is eternal. 
It's eternal. It's never-ending. And what sealed that deal? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is what sealed that deal. And so resurrection, you see, is not only assuring us of God's forgiveness, not only comforts us in suffering as we anticipate this, this final reversal of death and disease and decay, but it also motivates us. It pushes us forward. It empowers us to push back the tide of, of suffering and evil in this world, in the present world, and through our deeds and our words. That's what resurrection empowers us to do. And we do it in mercy and in justice. All in Jesus' name. The resurrection does not just impact our future. The resurrection impacts our present. It impacts us today. The resurrection is not just about funerals and cemeteries. The resurrection of Jesus is about families. The resurrection is about congregations. The resurrection is about marriages. The resurrection is about jobs. See, the resurrection is about life. That's what it's about. And Jesus said in John 10... In verse 10, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. They may have life. Life eternal? Yes, absolutely. But the word life here encompasses present tense. It's all of life. It's life today, right now also. Jesus came so that we might experience and participate in resurrection today. See, the Jews were looking for Jesus to establish His kingdom in the present age. Jesus came to establish evidence of His kingdom in the present age. We are the evidence of Jesus' kingdom. The church is. We are evidence of the resurrection. We are the impact. And Christianity began as a resurrection movement. And it's been sustained as a resurrection movement. And so we inject ourselves into the lives of others through deeds and through goodwill, through watching our attitudes and our actions, not, not hoping for the resurrection. We don't do that hoping we can see the resurrection. We do it because we are the resurrection. Because we've experienced the resurrection in the spiritual sense. Paul would continue in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are resurrected, those who are alive from the dead, and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. So when is it, Paul? When are we to present ourselves to God as His instruments of righteousness? Is it when we're, after we're in the grave? Is that when? When does Paul say we're supposed to do this? After we have what? After we have died to sin and been raised up again as a new person. Well, when did this happen? When did this happen? At the cemetery? Did it happen at the, at the, at the funeral home? Did it happen in the hospital? Chapter 6 and verse 3, back up a little bit. He says, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. So I acknowledge at the beginning how this, this is a great tension between what is seen and what is not seen. What we can see and feel and what we can't. Because what I can see 
is this body deteriorating day by day. That's what I can see. What I can experience are my loved ones and my friends passing away. And what I can hear are the cries of how terrible this world has become and how much despair takes the headlines every day in the news. And what I can know is that this is not all vanity. This is not all there is. This isn't it. And what I can express is my knowledge, the faith, that even if our earthly house, this tent we live in, this body, this life we build, even if it is dismantled to the very foundation, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heaven. That I can know. See, that's the impact of the kingdom of God, and that is our impact on the world around us. That's our impact on our friends. That's our impact on our our co-workers. That's our impact on our relatives, our family. That's even our impact on our Christian brothers and sisters. So acknowledge the struggle. Absolutely life is a struggle. Acknowledge the battle. Acknowledge the strength-sapping circumstances of living on this beautiful ball of wonder that we're on. Acknowledge that. And, Acknowledge that we have the hope of a new day because of the resurrection. See, not one day soon, not one day out there somewhere, not years from now, but today, today we are the resurrection because in Christ we are a new person. We have been raised up. So in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, as we read, Paul wrote, Now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blinking of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we cannot let the cares and the worries of this world move us from this foundation of our faith because victory is through Jesus. And even though we may not fully realize it now in this body and in these circumstances, it is true because the tomb is empty, because of Jesus' resurrection. Because even the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. That is impact. And it's the impact the kingdom of God continues to have over the world. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, if you want to turn there. As we read this morning, you can imagine what Paul was thinking as he was approaching the realization of the resurrection, as he was encouraging, admonishing, reminding this young man to tell us, to remind us. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in in the present age, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are living the resurrection while we wait. The question is, what kind of impact are you having in this weight? You know, when we get our lives all wrapped up, meshed up in sin, the only impact that our lives have is the impact of, of a crash, a full frontal crash. Because that's what sin does. It brings us to the lowest point in our lives. As far away from God as we can be. It breaks us. Changes us. It disfigures us from the beautiful image that God has molded us to be. That's what sin does. And sin can have such a negative impact on our lives. But because of the resurrection, we know that God is not going to leave us in that place. God gives us a way through Jesus Christ to be raised up in a new life, to be whole again. To be an impact for Him and His kingdom. And this morning, maybe you found yourself on your knees, on your face because of sin. And God calls you to repent of that. You've got to recognize it. You've got to reject it. And when you repent, He is faithful to forgive. This morning, if you are not a child of God, how are you a child of God? By being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, so that He can raise you up to be a new person, part of a new family, with a new hope, an eternal hope, a resurrected hope. Will you be baptized into Christ today? We're gathered here this morning because of the resurrection. We live each day of our lives because of the resurrection, as resurrected people. But that shows itself in how our Lives have been changed, made new. How our thoughts have been changed, made new. How our words are different now. They're new words. They're beautiful words. So this morning, what kind of impact are you having in the wake? Be resurrected today. Let your faith be resurrected by God through Jesus Christ. We're going to stand now and sing a song. If we can pray for you in this moment. If we can celebrate with you as you give your life to Jesus Christ in baptism, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that while we stand and sing this good song.